and welcome to this ICAEW Insights podcast. I'm Philippa Kelly, Director at ICAEW, and for this episode, I'll be speaking to Thomas Viejas, Economic Advisor to the Descupta Review, an independent global review on the economics of biodiversity. I started by asking him what makes this review different to other sustainability initiatives. So the review really, in a nutshell, makes clear that humanity's current engagement and indeed our engagement for for decades with the natural world has been endangering our economies, our livelihoods and our well-being. So after study after study has shown, and particularly from the, the scientific community has shown over recent decades, biodiversity is declining at a faster time at any point in human history with extinction rates at around 100 to 1,000 times higher than the baseline rate, and they're increasing. Indeed, some commentators are suggesting we're entering into a sixth mass extinction. But the economic consequences of that have often been either overlooked or misunderstood. And so what the review really does is have a deep fundamental look about the relationship between our economies and the natural world. And it highlights that declines in biodiversity are undermining nature's ability to be productive, resilient and adaptable, and thereby in turn fueling significant economic and financial risks for our economies and risks to our well-being. And indeed, the devastating impacts of COVID-19 and other emerging infectious diseases of which land use change and species exploitation have been linked as key drivers could just prove to be the tip of the iceberg if we continue down our current path. So the review grounded in a deep understanding of ecosystem processes and how they are affected by economic activities sets out to economists and policymakers how we should account for nature in economic thinking and decision making. And it underscores that biodiversity loss is not just an ecological issue, it's an economic issue. And so, as you, as you mentioned, the review states that fundamental change is needed in how we think and approach economics if we are to reverse biodiversity loss and protect and enhance the natural world and thereby our economic prosperity. And it does call for urgent and transformative change in how we think, act and measure economic success to both protect the natural world and protect and enhance our and future generations' prosperity. What do the review team hope will change following the review so how how are we going to change behavior and decision making I suppose particularly in the finance sector so I liked um in the preface it mentions that we are all asset managers pretty much all of the time that brought home to me I suppose the the decisions that you can make you know within your own home your community and the things that you can do at an incremental level are all important but in terms of that changing the behavior within the system if we're thinking, I suppose, particularly around financial services, what are the review team's hopes that the sector might take from the review? That's a great question. So I think I think there's kind of two elements here that really the review underscores in terms of its framing of the economic of issue of biodiversity lots, which is relevant in particular for finance, but also more broadly, finance and economic decision making. So the first is the framing of biodiversity loss as an asset management problem, and I'll unpack that. And the second is underscoring the embeddedness of the global economy in the biosphere in nature. So first, going back to that asset management problem is the review sees biodiversity loss as an asset management problem, and thereby starting with nature is an asset. So ecologists for generations have long known that nature is an asset, that nature produces a constant flow of goods and services, otherwise known as ecosystem services. And indeed, that characteristic of nature is very similar to the other two core forms of capital that is produced and human capital. So with nature as an asset, biodiversity 
is the diversity within those natural assets. And so it's a ca- essential characteristic which determines its productivity, its resilience, and its adaptability. And so just as diversity within a financial portfolio reduces risks and uncertainty associated with financial returns, the same is very much true for nature, that greater biodiversity reduces the risk and uncertainty associated with nature's returns. And indeed, that framing should almost be second nature to those in finance. Indeed, any asset management worth their salt will know that greater diversity reduces risk and uncertainty. And so seeing nature and our loss of um, species and and broader ecosystems in that lens can help translate the issue that scientists, ecologists and the science community more broadly have been saying for decades into a framework and understanding that those in finance can easily um, relate to. And just to finish on the point about asset management, as you mentioned, is when we talk about asset managers, I think anyone, the, the average person would think of a financier, maybe in the city of London, moving vast sums of money around. But the review really highlights that when we talk about asset management in this context, in the in context of sustainably engaging with nature, we are all asset managers, whether it be individuals, businesses, governments, financial institutions, multilateral organizations, we all manage assets, the core assets, the key assets that underpin our economies, produce human and natural capital through everyday spending and investment decisions. And so it's the consequences of everyday activities we do, you and I, whether we decide to buy something from a certain supplier or not, whether we decide to save money at a certain financial institution or not, we are, whether consciously or unconsciously, determining or influencing the mix of global, natural, human and produced capital. So on the asset management problem, that's why I think that that's important. The review really underscores that. The second thing, which I also think is really important and for the finance and more economic community, is the review underscores the point about the global economy is embedded within nature and therefore is ultimately bounded. So in some or in simple terms, what, what this means is that the review highlights and indeed formally expresses that all economic activities, so not just ones, not just primary industry, not secondary, not tertiary, all economic activities both depend and impact on nature. That is, they all depend on ecosystem services and they all influence the condition of ecosystem services through their production process and outputs. And this view of embeddedness, this view of dependency and impact sharply contrasts with standard macroeconomic models and development. And it really has an implications for the relationship between finance and the natural world. So as I touched on just a bit earlier, that ecosystem productivity and resilience is vital for our economies and vital for all economic activities. The extent of this dependence varies across uh, sectors. So for, for example, primary industries, whether it be farming, forestry, fisheries, the link is more obvious. There is the ecosystem service what ecologists term provisioning services, that is we extract something from nature. But when you look at secondary and tertiary industries, whether it be tourism, real estate, transportation, they also rely on ecosystem services. Indeed, sometimes what ecologists call regulating and maintenance services, such as the protection from natural hazards, a stable climate, disease control, to produce the real goods and services that they do. And so thereby financial services, through its relationship with the real economy, does have a strong link to the relationship with the natural world. And indeed, work from the World Economic Forum has underscored this by highlighting that around half of the global economic value added, around 44 US trillion dollars, is either highly or moderately dependent 
on uh, natural assets and their ecosystem services. So already the economic place is is very clear just based on that mm-hmm. that type of analysis. But as I said, the review goes further in terms of underscoring the dependency and impact, and it presents a formal model called the Global Bounded Economy Model. And that really is grounded as I started, as we started with about a deep understanding about how ecosystems work. So we know that through extraction of natural resources for our production consumption patterns um, and the waste through which we produce as a result of these activities, we undermine or we influence the condition of ecosystems ultimately in which we rely on for those economic activities. So it is a kind of circular loop. And for financial institutions, this means that their interaction with the natural world is both on the dependency and impact side, as I meant earlier. And so ultimately, financial returns rely on nature's returns. And so understanding how the economy works in that aspect really does alter how those in finance would see and engage in terms of our our economy's relationship with the natural world. I think you're absolutely right that awareness is increasing. There's obviously an immense amount of, of knowledge that there is out there and the finance sector is very good in some ways at looking to to the long term but then there I think for many is perhaps still a sense that you know this is a problem for tomorrow or this isn't something in the here and now even though anyone who who looks at the review in any detail will see that no this this is a problem now but perhaps for for those firms who are taking longer to to come around to that and adapt and come in do you do you think regulators will take action to to push firms forward do you think this is something that we can rely on on the sector to come to both as as the right thing to do and as the economically and ecologically sound thing to do or, or will we need a bit of both sure that, that's a great question so the review hopes it would be a bit of both by really strongly stating the economic um, argument and case to act um, but the question you touched on is a really good one about that um, biodiversity loss and um, has been often seen as a kind of longer term issue, something for out there in generations um, to come. And indeed, that had been much of the discussion on the climate side, as former governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, termed the tragedy of the horizon. So it was really about looking at what could happen in terms of the climate space, in terms of physical and transition risks far out into the future and bring it sharply into focus in terms of management and action for those in finance now. I think the review would underscore, though, that there is some nuance here between the climate and the the nature debate, which I'd just like to touch on. So first of all, to say fundamentally, biodiversity loss and climate are naturally interlinked and interconnected and, and indeed are both symptoms, the review would highlight, of humanity's engagement with nature since roughly the middle of last century in terms of the great acceleration as and as we've entered the Anthropocene, as we've pushed the planet's boundaries or we've got closer to those planetary boundaries that others have highlighted. And in, in indeed, we've seen, in terms from an ecological perspective, we've seen the declines, we've seen the damage um, that's already to come. So since the early 1990s, um, per person across the world, we've seen about a 40% decline in natural capital per person. So that's around half of the stock per person is already lost. So we have already started to experience um, its effects. So, I mean, today's quite a poignant day, one year on from the national lockdown in the UK with over 126,000 deaths. And so it's an extremely um, sad and momentous occasion. And indeed, as I touched on at the start, for those on the more scientific community, they've long been stating that humanity's engagements with nature can only breed the conditions for infectious diseases to happen. And so indeed, 
COVID-19 can really be seen as one of many risks that biodiversity loss can bring. And so indeed, it's very timely. Also climate changes as well, as we've seen kind of climate related events um, pick up in recent years. But just going to your question about what we need to see to happen between those in more of in the private sector and those in the public sector, I think you're right. There is, the review would highlight that ultimately the, the failure to account for nature, to, to account for the biodiversity loss and its economic impacts that we're seeing is a broader systemic failure to account for nature. And that isn't just within the fi financial markets. This isn't just a market failure. It's an institutional failure. And so in order to really account for nature, its value, um, its economic contributions, there needs to be widespread and systemic accounting for nature, whether that be in risk management practices, whether this be in um, regulation um, by governments or regulators, the review calls for across the board uh, systemic change in terms of accounting. And indeed, some of those impacts which might come down the line in the future generations, I think on the climate side, which has been extremely encouraging, the great work being done to pull those impacts into sharp relief now. There are great lessons to be learned and in indeed the review underscores that those lessons should be learned in terms of the broader nature debate. But it's to underscore that eventually, as I just touched on at the part of, at the start of this question, is that because of the interlinkages and the interconnections, biodiversity loss and climate change need to eventually be seen in a holistic manner. And so for those in finance thinking about climate, over time, we they need to naturally also think about the other aspects of natural capital because um, disruptions in terms of climate change, as um, the IPCC and IPBES have highlighted the global bodies at this, they can spill over to other ecosystem services. And so that interconnectedness means that we can't think of this as a partial system when we talk about the natural world. It is an interconnected system mm -hmm. which needs um, a holistic approach, which the review underscores. No, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting what you say about the the role of the finance sector in bringing, I suppose, those long term concerns into focus for, for the rest of the economy and whether it's businesses, households or, or others. And that probably is a quite a unique role that the finance sector is able to play in this, just in translating the long term into to what we need to do or what we can do day to day, whether it's pension saving or just the, the value over time and, and how we manage that as individuals. What will the sector practically and objectively be able to do in terms of helping us, whether it's as consumers or, or businesses, understand what's what's going to be good in terms of reversing biodiversity loss and what's going to be bad? Is this about green investment or green projects? What what do you see as their, their role in practically making that happen? So as I kind of mentioned earlier, this starts with accounting for nature in all economic and financial decision making. So for, for, first of all, broader than just only for those in finance, but I'll, I'll drill down to, to that specific. So as I mentioned at its core, the review does see our engagements, our unsustainable engagement with nature reflecting institutional failure writ large and not simply market failure. And indeed, that distinction, the review would highlight is quite important because for some, not all in the climate debate, have often attributed um, the failure in terms of our acknowledgement of climate in the past has been because we've treated it or it's been a market failure. But the review really underscores that when it comes to thinking about nature and the biosphere more broadly, it's an institutional failure. 
Um, institutions often, often have kind of wide definitions. So just to be clear, um, the review means it in terms of the rules and arrangements that govern um, our collective undertakings. And so that means households, markets, civil society and the state. They're all institutions and we all interact. And the review highlights that three pervasive feature, key pervasive features of nature, its mobility, silence and invisibility have made us and made our institutions difficult to account for both its use and impacts on nature today. And, in, and indeed, a lack of that inability has been fed by a lack of accounting for nature. Um, and so despite some attempts to do this, many of our institutions have proved unfit to manage um, the environmental externalities that we have created. And indeed, the evidence um, shown in the review highlights that almost everywhere across the world, collectively, we've exacerbated the pricing problem. That is, we've incentivized economic activities to degrade rather than protect nature. And in addition, we lack the institutional arrangements needed to protect truly crucial global public goods, such as the oceans or the world's rainforests. But to get into your question about what can the financial sector do in terms of good and bad, I think that what the review would highlight is that question needs to be superseded, as it were. And it needs to be asked by what is sustainable, because that's the ultimate key question. And now, indeed, the concept of sustainability, whether it be sustainable investment, sustainable growth, sustainable development, the term is often used differently with nuance across markets fora without a clear or consistent definition. And what the review does um, really at its heart is it provides a clear economic definition underpinned by ecological reasoning that sustainability means ensuring that our global activities or our demands on nature at least equal its supply. So going back to what any um, economist will know as basic Econ 101, it's really thinking about our demands on nature and its supply, and it's about getting that balance. And so the review's definition, in a way, provides a robust way of evaluating, whether it be in financial markets, financial decisions, investment decisions, what activities or what policies are truly sustainable? What are they doing in terms of contributing to that gap between demand and supply? And to do this, naturally, natural capital accounting underpinned by robust data is critical. So the review highlights that comprehensive, relevant and regularly collected data on natural assets and our relationship with them in terms of our economic activities is needed to firmly embed nature into economic and financial decision-making and risk management. Specifically, these data are needed to produce natural capital accounts, assess financial investment decisions, undertake financial risk assessments, and carry out macroeconomic modeling to understand better the implications of biodiversity loss. And such data needs to reflect the quantity and quality of our natural assets and be able to measure change over time and at appropriate spatial scales required by financial and decision makers. And indeed, to take this a bit further, given the recent announcements by the UN in terms of the UNCEA passing just only last week, what, what's needed, both at whether it be the kind of business, financial institution, government level that the review would highlight, is this really deep think and deep acceptance and act on thinking about our ecological balance sheet alongside our financial balance sheet. And so that's looking at whether we're depleting or, or adding to our natural assets and also having a deep look at our liabilities, as it were. And so by managing and thinking about nature in that way, alongside our financial returns, that would that would allow us to strike a balance between really understanding how we engage with the natural world and how the natural world engages um, with our f f financial communities. 
And I think that that language of, of accounting and finance in terms of how we conceptualise this and think about it and think about what we need to do next will resonate very clearly with um, with ICAW members and will feel familiar. But on the other hand, that knowledge and experience and skill around sustainability and, and nature and just the, the vocabulary and some of those concepts will, will feel very unfamiliar in terms of biodiversity and do you think as a sector we we have the competence and capacity to to bring those together? Do we have enough people with the knowledge and experience to make change? And one risk that we sometimes see in the finance sector, particularly around banking, it's it's sort of that cliche of banks can can suck skills and talent from elsewhere, um, perhaps where they're more needed. And how do we avoid a a brain drain, as it were, to certain areas when there is going to be such a demand for people with the skills and experience to to bridge that gap between finance and sustainability. As you've kind of already touched on a bit already, I mean, the, if you, we look at the global financial system historically, it's been adaptable. It can always alter its focus in terms of the biggest challenges of the day. We saw that in the financial crisis and kind of post-financial crisis with the reforms and 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 what and what happened. And also now we're seeing it in terms of climate change. So if we go back five, maybe five years, a decade ago, climate change within the broader financial system um, as an issue was really at, at the edges. Now it's in sharp relief um, as the COP26 um, campaign, the private finance campaign led by Mark Carney is highlighting the aim to have every financial decision take into account climate is a massive step forward to where we were five, 10 years ago. And so in terms of thinking about nature, what can we learn? What what can we do? I think, as you touched on, a lot of this in terms of whether we talk about ecosystems or ecological impacts or biodiversity or the biosphere, these are all terms that many in finance would not would not be used to. And indeed, many probably are, are really have been unaware to to date. But I think I think there's hope for two parts. One is, like I said, on the climate side is what we've already seen is that when we're talking about the issue of climate change, is that those in finance really have been open to grasp not just the concept, but the science, the material, and really work with others, working with the best climate scientists, working with the best in those fields to really understand the magnitude of the problem, what needs to change. So I think there's hope there. And But the second thing is, like you mentioned about what type of skills and expertise do we need? And I think something that, from a personal perspective, as part of the review team, which I really noticed is that the review team um, was made up of a mix of scientists, ecologists and economists such as myself. And really, it's that multifunctional approach to thinking about an issue um, indeed can can bring about the best um, thinking solutions and action. And indeed, it's kind of almost the beauty of biodiversity and the beauty of diversity more broadly that when we think about it across society, so if we go, if we stem, if we just go broader than nature, we think about diversity in thought, diversity and in inclusion. It really is that diversity in terms of background and perspectives and education and thinking that will ultimately help those in finance, but those more broadly think about this issue as a species, as a, as, a, as a race, as it were, our ability to collaborate, think differently, think in different ways has been what's arguably led us to this path in terms of our creativity, ingenuity has led us to where we are. And we stand now um, at a precipice um, in terms of where the global economy is. It's, we're richer than we've ever been. We're living longer, less people in poverty. And indeed, if we can just alter that now, if we just 
our mindset as a as humanity collectively, which the review highlights, if we can just use that power that we all have to focus on really sustainably engaging with nature, either it be in finance or across the board, businesses, those in the science community, if we work together, we can really produce something that can, can get us on a more sustainable path. That power and responsibility dynamic, and I really like the way that you describe that, is that, you know, we, we have amongst ourselves that that diversity to um, bring together different skills and experience and backgrounds and everything else to hopefully start to reverse the problem. But I hope that when our members are looking at the report and listening to what you've been saying and reading about it more broadly, I think that that stark language, particularly at the beginning, should really bring it home. And I think it's very powerful in the way that it's written as well. Is there anything else that you'd like ICAW members to know? Um, So our members will be the financial decision makers, the advisors, the people who are able to bring that information together and and translate it into what enables others to make those decisions. So there are three things that the review highlights is in particular to those in financial institutions and kind of those in finance more broadly. Um, that can really help get get us on a way to start thinking about this more systematically. So the first is um, the current adage is measurement matters and what's not measured is not managed. And so it's widely accepted, and indeed the review highlights, that measuring changes in biodiversity is inherently more complex than climate change. There's not a single metric. We can't just look at an equivalent for carbon emissions. And company disclosures on how they impact natural capital and uh, associated biodiversity currently is patchy or at best non-existent. As I touched on earlier, so comprehensive, relevant and regularly collected data is needed to firmly embed. And indeed, what you're already seeing is that some ESG providers are being encouraged to fill that gap. But for an issue as complex as nature, the data potentially used to direct and to um, reorientate trillions of, of global financial capital must be based on the best science, on the most up to date science that we can have. And again, it goes back to that previous question about working with those in the scientific community to really understand that. And so evidence-based frameworks, uniting the science and sustainable finance, combined with that systematic data collection, technology and transparency from the private sector will be key. And indeed, the rise of geospatial data, which we have seen in the review highlights, remote sensing and multiple growing data lakes to capture quantitative data points across the world, um, wherever natural assets are located, have the potential to be extremely powerful in connecting activities on their impact and empowering those in the finance community to really understand how their investments are impacting natural assets via the activities they're supporting. Second, the review highlights that there is a key role to play for disclosure and setting effective um, conventions. So as I mentioned, the review highlights the importance of disclosure across supply chains, understanding our relationship between dependencies and impact and building out understanding among private actors to provide over time consistent and transparent awareness and information to global markets. Indeed, we've seen on the climate side and the TCFD recommendations to date, while that's obviously still progressing, has been extremely already effective in getting firms, getting financial institutions to think about climate, think about their interactions with climate and think about their risks associated. And indeed, there's much to learn in terms of the broader natural capital debate. And so disclosure regimes are kind of often in discuss 
discussing and there's already ongoing, great ongoing work to demand new levels of insight and transparency of investors on behalf of their investee companies, whether it comes to broader biodiversity loss, whether it comes to deforestation, or whether it comes to land use. And indeed, the, the review highlights that this is encouraging. Third and finally, um, as with climate related investments, this measurement and the disclosure I just mentioned may actually herald the birth of a new asset class in financial markets with kind of nature positive outcomes. And so long-standing barriers in the private market, whether that be tangible returns, readily available projects, or robust data to really scale up private investments may become available when we have, as I mentioned, we address the data, we have that effective regime in terms of regulation incentives. Um, and indeed, mechanisms suggested by the review, whether it be blended finance, whether it be pooled funds, green bonds, or broader sustainable investing, all can become drivers of this greater change in terms of sustainably engaging with nature. And so combining all of this with initiatives, which the review highlights, such as, for example, the recently formed task force on nature-related financial disclosures, or TNFD, which aims to build awareness and capacity on nature-related dependencies, impacts, and risks among financial institutions, are already encouraging greater engagement with investors, with broader financial market participants alike, and the result could be a paradigm shift um, in terms of financial capital allocations at scale, one that's positive for investors and one that's positive for nature. So kind of really just want to highlight that and then just caveat this all with some unease when people have talked about the review about valuing nature and um, taking it to extreme about commodifying all nature. That is, we should give everything a monetary price. And I really want to underscore that the review really highlights the beauty of nature and the beauty of biodiversity and, and says in no uncertain terms that we can't, we're never going to be able to find a, a single price, a single monetary value for, for nature, because the nature of nature is that it has value beyond what we're ever going to be able to measure. And indeed, so when we're thinking about that dependency impact risk link that we've discussed earlier, we're only really scratching at a part of nature's value. So what um, economists would term its use value. So we're looking at its economic mm. contributions to activities. And there's been great work um, studying the, the contribution of, say, pollinators um, by the Paulson Institute and others to global agricultural output, which is over which significantly economic contributions. And though all of those methods, all those kind of impacts and methods are crucial because what they're telling us is even from looking at that subset of nature's value, even looking at its use value, not talking about its non-use value, that is when we're talking about existence value or, or intrinsic value even, that we know even from that partial analysis of nature's value, it's economically significant. And so if I go back to the start about biodiversity loss being an economic issue, not just an ecological issue, those methods, while we need to be careful to ensure that we remember that they're only a partial assessment of nature's true value. Those assessments and those valuation methods already help us understand the economic significance of biodiversity loss. Thank you. And that, I suppose, is a, a good way to say that we are, we're all empowered in a way to, to play that role in that virtuous circle. That was really fascinating, sort of tour, tour de force, really, of, of the review. So thank you for for answering all those questions so comprehensively. And I think 
I would hope that the ICAW members feel ready to take on that challenge, to find out more, to look at the review and really be a driver within their own organisations and, and their households, as, as we spoke about earlier, to start to make real change. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for spending the time. hope you enjoyed this episode to hear more from icaw insights subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts